0: Today's episode is brought to you by you. Yes, you. A few weeks ago, I launched the Patreon page for the Elfamboy podcast, and already I've had several generous listeners pitch in to lend their support for the show. You're why I do this, and today I'm going to put your money where your ears are with a stacked show that includes an interview with an up-and-coming actor-producer and a special guest from the realm of DC film reporting. If you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com lfanboy or visit lfanboy.com today. Let's start the show. ElFanboy, episode 37. In the year 2014, horror films won the weekend box office only twice. In 2015, they won it zero times. In 2016, three times. But in 2017, horror films won the weekend ten times. Horror is back and rearing its head. The genre is currently experiencing a massive rejuvenation. It began this year with the triumphant return of M. Night Shyamalan. His film Split, a return to form that called to mind his impressive debut The Sixth Sense while also connecting directly to his fan-favorite follow-up Unbreakable won over critics and audiences alike and took the top spot for three consecutive weeks from January into February as people couldn't get enough of his twisty, creepy, psychological storytelling. The $9 million film would go on to make $278.3 million worldwide. Four weeks later it would be Jordan Peele's directorial debut the topical horror film Get Out, which would claim the number one spot. The film earned incredible reviews and managed to turn its timely premise into huge profits. From there, audiences, now ready for horror in all its facets, were treated to everything from big-budget tentpoles like Alien Covenant to the spin-off of the fan-favorite Conjuring series Annabelle Creation. And those all primed the pump for the worldwide smash that would be Stephen King's IT. Pennywise laughed all the way to the bank while creating a pop culture phenomenon. The $35 million dollar film currently resides at the very fitting number 666, that's right As of today, Halloween 2017, it has made $666.5 million. And just this past weekend, our old friend Jigsaw returned to cinemas everywhere, taking the top spot heading into Halloween. The age of the prestigious horror film is back. There was a time when horror ruled, several times in fact. If you go back to the heyday of Universal Pictures with their films about Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and so on, monsters were kings. Hell, we can go back even further to the silent film era in 1922, when audiences around the world were terrorized by Nosferatu. Throughout history, some of the most memorable films of all time belong to the horror genre Psycho, The Exorcist, Jaws, The Shining, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street. In the late 90s, horror would experience another boom thanks to Wes Craven's Scream. It comes in waves, these periods of time where horror seems to dominate pop culture. Oftentimes, a movie like Scream will come out, and then a bunch of similar films would come out in its wake after it does well, just as Scream gave way to I Know What You Did Last Summer and the Final Destination series, and many other films that were just somewhat similar in tone. And recently there was the time when, you know, paranormal activity came out and suddenly everyone wanted to make found footage films and all this. So usually there's that one film that just sort of opens the floodgates. But what's different about this current wave? I'd argue that perhaps for the first time since The Shining in 1980, audiences are seeing what can happen when you take a scary movie seriously inject it with phenomenal production value, big time actors and filmmakers who are willing to make something prestigious, something worth celebrating. I honestly think we owe a lot of the current wave to James Wan and his The Conjuring series. Anchored by Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson and grounded by the real world heft of the documented paranormal investigations of Ed and Lorraine Warren, the series has made the genre respectable again. They're not the kind of micro-budget, jump-scare-filled slasher picks that will always turn a profit because they cost like 75 cents to make. No, they're not reliant on a gimmick like the Blair Witch or Paranormal Activity movies. They're just great movies with talented actors, eerie stories to tell, and a willingness and and the courage to ask you to actually take them seriously. What an idea, right? The series, which includes four films at this point, Conjuring 1 and 2, Annabelle and Annabelle Creation, have cost Warner Bros. slash New Line a total of $81.5 million and have made the studio $1.2 billion. The success of the series is likely what spurned them to give IT director Andy Muschietti everything he needed to make the movie the most successful horror film of all time. This horror boom is also probably what has lured iconic filmmaker John Carpenter back to his beloved Halloween series. Carpenter hasn't been directly involved with a Halloween movie since 1982. And now, 35 years later, he confirmed this week that he's producing, scoring, officially, and providing story notes on an all-new chapter in the Michael Myers saga, which is being directed by David Gordon Green if you're a horror fan it's a marvelous time to be alive but if you're one studio in particular you are pretty fucking miserable right now because here we are at a time when horror is hotter than it's been in ages and universal pictures decided to turn its mummy property into an action movie you've got to think that the executives over there are pretty furious right now, seeing how ready and willing mainstream audiences were to invest their time and money into horror movies. Meanwhile, they decided to turn The Mummy into Mission Impossible light by way of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in a genre mashup that led to the film not only being a financial disaster for the studio, but also now throwing their entire shared Dark Universe franchise into a tailspin from which it may never recover. Oh, and I shouldn't fail to mention Stranger Things Season 2. Yes, I know, it's a TV show and we're talking horror movies, but it's another testament to how mainstream horror is at the moment. Season 2 launched on Netflix this past Friday, and the series would go on to set a Twitter record with over 3.7 million tweets shared across the globe from people wanting to discuss the show from Friday to Sunday alone. That's the most social media action generated by any TV show ever in that concentrated amount of time. Long live horror and may the age of the prestigious, high quality horror that we're getting continue on and on. Oh, and happy Halloween. Now, let's get to the week's news. This weekend at the box office was pretty interesting. Those of you who listened to last week's special Fanboy Friday edition, remember I gave you guys the projected top five uh, according to Deadline Box Office. And, you know, Deadline is, is very, very reliable. And here's what they originally had projected. They said that Jigsaw would come in in first place in the low 20s. They said that uh, Boo 2, that Medea movie, would come in at second place. They said Suburbicon would come in in third place with around $8 million. That Geostorm would come in in fourth at $7 remember Remember, I did say I, I have a feeling Geostorm might surprise people and come in in third, but more on that later. And in fifth place was Thank You For Your Service. That was what analysts from the Hollywood bean counting industry thought things were going to work out as. Well, here is the actual top five, and boy, we got some surprises for you. So, first of all, in number one, we had Jigsaw. So that part was right. What was absolutely wrong was how much it would make. It did not make in the low 20s. You know, at some point, they were saying 22, 23 million. This thing only opened to $16.6 million for the lowest opening of the Saw series in entirety in its history. So uh, you might want to say that Lionsgate's attempt to try to revive the Saw franchise uh, was not necessarily received that well. So that opened at 16.6. Then in second place, they were right. Boo too. Uh, They were a little bit off by how much of a drop. They thought it would be a mild 48%. Instead it was 52.6%, it made $10 million. In third place, just as I predicted, Geostorm is still hanging in there, mainly because people just want some, you know, Hollywood escapism during these dreary times we're currently living in. But it didn't make that much either. It also made considerably less. It made 5.9 million. Then in fourth place, hanging in there, which no one seemed to think would, you know, would happen, is Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day, probably taking advantage of the Halloween holiday and the fact that it is a horror film. They actually wisely opened up their release a little more. They added 237 more screens, and they added another $5 million to their box office haul. And rounding things out in fifth place? Nope, not Suburbicon. No, not Thank You For Your Service. No, none of this week's new movies. It's Blade Runner 2049, kind of hanging in there. It's still not a success story for Warner Brothers by any stretch, but Blade Runner tops out your top five thank you for your service, came in above Suburbicon. It takes sixth place with $3.8 million, which that one falls in line with what they thought. They thought low single digits, and that's exactly what it was. The big disaster this week is Suburbicon. Uh, the film was originally said to make $8 million. That's what they thought, just based on all the prestigious people involved. You had George Clooney, you had Julianne Moore, Matt Damon, the Coen brothers. You know, it, it had a lot going for it. But you know what? It had a D cinema score from audiences and a pretty crappy Rotten Tomatoes rating. So Suburbicon opened in ninth place to the really, really depressing $2.8 million. How do you like that? This week's lead story centers on that Han Solo movie that I'd never want to see happening. Uh, This week, the word sort of hit the web of exactly how extensive and how intense what Ron Howard did uh, really is. Remember, when he came on board, it was at, a, at around the time in principal photography when there were set to be two weeks left that had Lord and Miller stuck around. They were only two weeks away from principal photography. And yet, he did a lot more than two weeks, didn't he? He only wrapped principal photography in the last two weeks or so. So that means he worked for close to two months or maybe even longer than that, three months. And what's notable there is that it looks like in that time, he reshot nearly all of Solo while nearly doubling the budget. This comes from the uh, Resistance podcast that comes from the Star Wars News Net website and um, According to them, even though the, the originally they had characterized a lot of the Lord and Miller footage as very usable, it looks like Ron Howard was essentially asked to just redo everything they had done. Remember, one of the initial complaints was that Lord and Miller, even when they stuck to the script, it was just shot tonally very different than what the script had originally demanded. And it looks like the tone issues had to get fixed. That's why even scenes that were shot by them had to go and get redone. So it wasn't just a matter of shooting sequences that were that were yet to be completed. It was about redoing and playing straight, I suppose, the original sequences that Lord Miller had directed. So what's interesting about this? You know, th- th- this is a pretty big story. This is a pretty big story, and it's not causing a huge amount of negative backlash. You know, when we think about films... Getting extensively reshot and other directors coming in, typically there's a big ruhaha, it becomes its own sort of horror story as we cover it. As we you know, we've seen that in the DC Extended Universe, and we've seen it elsewhere when a film goes through these kinds of trials and tribulations. Now, as I've said before, Star Wars has been somewhat immune to that because even though every single Star Wars film under the new regime has faced some form of adversity the final product has always been well received. That's what you know, that is the big difference maker here. You know, when The Force Awakens had the whole issue where the script by Michael Arndt was thrown out and the film was delayed by seven months, no one batted an eyelash because The Force Awakens delivered. When Rogue One essentially underwent a huge overhaul where they brought in Tony Gilroy to write new material and direct the reshoots and remake the film in, in a very major way basically doing everything that wasn't action oriented over again or differently. Uh, no one really batted an eyelash again because when rogue one hit theaters, it was well received. It was thought to be a pretty damn good movie. Um, so that's why I think, you know, they've, Lucasfilm has bought a great deal of goodwill and trust amongst Star Wars fans, amongst mainstream audiences, that essentially, even if everything goes crazy behind the scenes, you know that it's all in service of making the film as good as it can be, so just sort of bear with us while we do whatever we have to do to make a great Star Wars movie for you. But... While I've always made clear that Lucasfilm has earned that respect, and I understand why they've got that respect, I have a real legitimate concern that Solo A Star Wars Story is going to be the first film that really suffers. Not necessarily from the -the behind-the-scenes drama, but now, if it's true that the budget has nearly doubled this film, the, the, the pressure for this film to succeed is that much higher now. Meanwhile, the interest level I'm still very skeptical about. I'm not sure how many people are dying to see an early thirties Han Solo movie. You know, as I've said many times before, had this been like a teenage Han Solo covering a part of his life we really know nothing about and maybe figuring out how he became a smuggler and how he became the lovable scoundrel we all grown to know and love that be one thing. But Alden Ehrenreich is 30, 31 years old. He's only about six years younger than the Han Solo we met at that cantina in Tatooine in A New Hope. So really, it makes so little sense that they've hired an actor that looks nothing like Harrison Ford to cover a period of time that's really very close to where you know, what we already know about Han Solo. And when you hear comments from, from Disney CEOs talking about how some of the material that's going to be covered is how he met Chewbacca and how he got the Millennium Falcon. Who really truthfully gives a damn about those things? You know, this is where we start getting into territory where we are over explaining things. We are removing the mystique surrounding certain key bits of mythology and we are over explaining it. It takes us back to George Lucas's original sin, the prequels. You know, if you think about it, the prequels did something horrendous to Darth Vader. They took what was once this mysterious, mystical, incredible character and they turned him into something that was just by the time you got through Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, I feel like, are you really as invested in him anymore? Is he really that great and powerful boogeyman that we met in the first scene of A New Hope and you're like, ooh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. He's not that anymore because they went too far in explaining who and what he is. Um, So that's why I'm just... I really think that this film is going to tread into territory that's almost downright dangerous where it's extremely expensive but it's telling a story that no one was really clamoring for. Truthfully, no one was clamoring to find out about how Han Solo got the goddamn Millennium Falcon. You know, and this this calls to mind a question I was asked by listener Alex Mendoza. Alex Mendoza tweeted at me uh, yesterday or early this morning about how, you know, essentially asking, is it possible for us to just get a movie where bad guys can be bad guys where we don't have to cheer for them or quote unquote, understand them. And I really think a lot of that inclination to do that came from the prequels. As soon as Lucas announced that and, and, Hollywood heard how interested people were in the concept of chronicling the rise and fall of Anakin Skywalker and getting a better understanding of who Darth Vader is. That's when you started seeing all kinds of films that attempted to reinvent all kinds of villains and classic monsters and give them, quote unquote, proper origins. And and so many of them have fallen flat on their face and it's not an accident. You know, when Rob Zombie remade Halloween, that Michael Myers sucked. He wasn't mysterious or interesting anymore. He wasn't, you know, it, 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 it's actually, it leads perfectly to what John Carpenter said on Sunday on, on CBS's 60 Minutes. You know, when he originally wrote Michael Myers in the original 1978 movie, here's what he said. He said, I wanted the audience not to know whether he was human or supernatural. He had no character he was blank he was simply evil like that was perfect he was just the boogeyman you know in in the uh, in the original film you know in the credits or in the script he's just referred to as like the shape he was this blank evil entity you didn't know a lot about him but that's part of what made him so scary so Rob Zombie attempted to you know, make him more understandable. That Freddy Krueger one with Jamie or James Earl Healy or whatever the hell his name is, uh, that one also just went too far in trying to get us to understand Freddy Krueger and it lost what made Freddy Krueger such a charming and interesting character. I just, you know, I'm sick to death of things getting overexplained for the sense of trying to cash in on some form of nostalgia. And I think Solo is that. You know, Rogue One at least told a story that was somewhat new. Yes, we had heard vague things about a rebel group that had gotten the Death Star plans, but we didn't really know what any of that meant. So Rogue One, even though it was still a little too close to the original trilogy for me, and I wish it was more of a stand on its own story, at least it told a story that we were not really at all familiar with. Solo is just going to basically be a live action you know g- giving visuals to stories we've already heard referenced in the actual movies and i don't know how much people are interested in that i'm really not so that for me that was the big takeaway from this week's story about the reshoots all right like i don't really care at the end of the day who directed it or who's going to get credit or how much was re- was reshot I'm very intrigued by the fact that that budget was apparently nearly doubled because these movies already on their own tend to cost around 200 or $250 million. If he doubled it, and we're looking at like $350, 400000000 this movie's going to have such an uphill battle to make back its money, especially when you consider the fact that it's not a concept anyone was asking for. Um... But okay, I think that's all I've got to say about Solo. One of the other stories that I'd like to just touch on for a second is, that, is, is the Halloween edition, and we're talking about horror movies. Another Stephen King movie is on the way there's going to be a new adaptation of pet cemetery and according to deadline paramount has found their directing duo directing duos are very popular right now but yes they've hired dennis widmeyer and kevin kolsch to direct the pet cemetery remake based on the stephen king novel and the uh, mary lambert's 1987 film of the same name Uh, Their claim to fame prior to this is they they directed an indie thriller in 2014 called Starry Eyes. And they also included a couple of episodes of MTV's Scream. So uh, good for them. You know, let's see if they are, if Paramount gives them the type of budget and the type of support that New Line and Warner Brothers gave to Andy Machete, that Warner Brothers gives to James Wan, Let's see if they're able to keep this train running with really good, really high-caliber, excellent horror filmmaking. Now, while we're talking about making horror films, I would like to segue into an interview. Yes, I conducted an interview earlier this morning with actor-producer Kyle Hester. He's working on a horror-action-supernatural mashup, and I thought he'd be a great person to have a Halloween chat with. All right, so it is my pleasure. I'm very excited to have uh, an actor come on board to come talk horror movies with me on today's Halloween episode. He's also we're going to talk about a very exciting film that he's involved with, and how you guys can help help this movie see the light of day. His name is Mr. Kyle Hester. Kyle, how are you this morning?
1: Man, I'm doing fantastic on a a sprinkly Halloween morning here in Los Angeles, and and thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Do you have any uh, have anything exciting going on for Halloween today? Actually, it's
1: it's my uh, my anniversary, so uh, my wife and I are going to go to Disneyland and um and, and have some have some food and dress up, and so it's it's good times.
0: You got married on Halloween.
1: Got married on Halloween at Disneyland with lightsabers.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. That is epic. That is epic. So I I guess you must kind of like this holiday then. It's the one. It is the the holiday. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So right now, since this is the Halloween episode, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the state of horror. Because if you think about it right now, it's kind of never been a better time to be a fan of the genre. Right now, we are between Stephen King's "It" and a number of other films, I actually hit on it earlier in the in the episode. A horror film has taken the top spot at the box office ten different times this year, and right now it just seems like interest is at an all time high. And I, I'm just curious, you know, how are you feeling about the current state of horror?
1: I think it's awesome. I think it's kind of it's kind of like. Transferred from more independent type films to a little more, bit more mainstream, so it's uh, it, it's kind of all over right now. You know, it's great. I think that, uh, you know, the whole the, the huge Hollywood um, haunted houses and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's been
0: yeah, like people are taking it, them seriously again. You know, there there yeah. used to be a time where like the only horror movies you'd see would be these little like micro budget little slasher films, which are fine, you know, but, like, now it seems like the the, the age of the prestigious horror film is back, where, like, you know, big, you know, big filmmakers and actors and stuff are, are willing to sort of really invest in these, and we're kind of taking the genre seriously again for the first time in a while. So that's very exciting for me. Um, what's the last horror movie you saw? Last, You know what? I've been watching
1: um, horror movies like all... Well, month. <laughs> nice. I wonder so, why. I, yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Um so, yeah, but um it's like we we've watched like the all of the old um the Frankensteins and the uh the, the, the vampire movies, yeah. you know, all all you know the, the black and whites and all kinds of stuff all the way through, you know, the we did like our our, our Johnny Depp um <laughs> Nightmare you know, on Elm Street. Tim Burton. Yeah. So <laughs> Run the
0: gamut. That's awesome. All right. So, and then I, I got to ask. Then, you, do you have like? you know, It might might be hard for you to single out just one, but do you have like what you would consider your your all time favorite horror flick?
1: The Shining, hands down. The
0: Shining. That's a good one. That's a good choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I think that it's like uh, when you can combine brilliant acting and the and the kind of suspense that you get in a film like that. I yeah. think that uh, it kind of sets the bar.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And see, and that's the thing that I miss and that I that I'm glad that's sort of coming back, the idea of like there used to be prestige in these kind of films. You know, that was directed by Kubrick, you know, we had Alfred Hitchcock doing Psycho and we had Spielberg doing Jaws. Like there was a time where big time filmmakers and would bring real Hollywood production value to these kinds of movies. And I feel like we're kind of heading back in that direction, you know, like with you know, New Line Cinemas and Warner Brothers with like the Conjuring series and Stephen King's It, they're bringing a little bit of that like real heft to the genre. And I'm kind of I kind of hope we continue on that path, you know.
1: I'm right there with you, man.
0: Yeah, keep keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. So speaking of, of, of keeping on, you're going to sort of kind of help put your own sort of stamp on the genre, I think. Even though you know your film looks like it's going to be a sort of merger of different types of genres, but judging by that trailer and judging by the concept trailer, it looks pretty damn creepy. You have a movie called Preacher 6 that you're working on. Why don't you tell us a little about that?
1: Preacher Six, yeah, it it is it is a horror type film, and um, it's basically it's like a, Preacher Six is a small town preacher who ends up coming to the big city and fighting evil in a literal sense. So there, it's I would say that it's going to be a, a kind of like um, a violent a uh, type horror film where the the preachers fighting uh, demons. I so. Like that. Uh, yeah, so it, it there will be blood. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the trailer and I, I'm I'm loving like it looks very like stylized, where like you know it looks like it's gonna be creepy as all hell, but also there's gonna be some fairly like intense action. I saw some gunplay in there and cool camera angles, sort of zipping around you, and you know it looks like it's gonna be like a merger of ideas, but it looks it looks like it's gonna be fairly mind blowing.
1: I hope so. That's what we're going for, and this is like completely completely independent film I mean there's like um, no studios no big money no nothing this is all fan driven so that's that's uh, what I like
0: about it that's why I wanted to have you on because you're someone who's out there doing it you're trying to make something happen you're trying to create something on your own and I have such respect for people who can just do that who can just go you know what I'm gonna you know I don't need the you know uh, the approval of a studio I don't need to I'm gonna go and make my own thing so that's huge you know what,
1: I, I really, I appreciate that, and I, and I try to kind of, um, you know, relay that same message to, to people every day. You know, it's like there's nothing stopping you from making something happen if you put your mind to it and work every day at yeah. making it happen.
0: Yeah. You you know? gotta but you really got to be good
1: at it. You know, whatever you decide to do, you know, get some training and be good at it, and yeah. then do all that, you yeah. know?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Not just, I'm going to go film something on my iPhone and, uh, you know, hope it does well you got to actually really dedicate yourself. Right. Yeah, like it seems almost like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was very inspired by something James Cameron said. He was speaking somewhere. And he was basically talking about the fact that, like, the, the way things happen nowadays is very different than how they did many years ago. You know, many years ago, it was more so about, like, pitching to a studio and trying to get their funding and trying to basically work yourself into their system. And nowadays, like, his advice – was go and like make your own movies invest in them write in them film what you can make highlight reels shoot rough versions of them and then try to bring eyeballs to that and then from there is where you kind of go off and running you know, basically create your own stuff instead of trying to fit yourself into someone else's thing and it looks like you're doing exactly that
1: I was gonna say, wow! I, <laughs> I didn't know I did I had heard that same interview with, with Jim Cameron. And, <laughs> and, and uh, that's what we're doing, man. You yeah. know, yeah. So, See, it, you're, and you're just doing it, it naturally. It, you know what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I had come off of a film. Um, actually, Peter Sametti. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He um, he is a comic book um, publisher and artist, and and he has something called Alternative Comics. Yeah. And um, and he brought me on as um, an, an actor to this film called the chair, which okay. is actually uh, Roddy Piper's uh, last feature oh, film. Wow. Okay. So that's a, yeah. So that's a horror film that is actually available right now. It just came out like, um, it just available yesterday on DVD on Amazon. Nice.
0: Um,
1: and, um, so I, I kind of got to learn and follow the way that he did the whole like social media thing to, to bring that film to life yeah so so it's like if if he can do it i can do it yeah. um so it was it's one of those so it's like yeah there's there's this whole whole indie wave of like let's try to make you know something happen and it, and there's people that are out there trying to do indie trying to raise a million and a half dollars on you know indiegogo and kickstarter and i'm like well good luck with that you know yeah. um because <laughs> That's a, that's a whole other thing, you know. But that's okay. You can't teach everybody everything. So, no, of course, um, yeah. It sounds it, like so you you're gotta,
0: very involved with this film too. Like you're not just an actor. It sounds like you're you know, you're also kind of you're helping to try to get it produced, right? Yeah, yeah. I am. I am the producer. So. You are the producer. Yeah. So, so since you are the producer, and I've seen your your that you know, you've got some of the crowdfunding stuff going on, why don't you let my listeners know where they can go to try to you know to to support getting preacher 6 off the ground
1: um please go to the gofundme and, and all you just look up preacher 6 and 6 is spelled out um, preacher 6 on gofundme and we have the the sizzle reel is going to be there so you'll see kind of what we're talking about with the with the action and the horror and you know all of that kind of stuff that's going on with it and um, so that we have a website preacher6.com and Preacher6 on Twitter. So basically, if you're looking for Preacher6, you put that into Google and stuff is going to come up.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, you have the Twitter account. You have the GoFundMe. You have it all over the place. And yeah, and by the way, he mentioned the sizzle reel. That sizzle reel is freaky as all hell. Uh, I'm going to share either. Well, what do you think I should share on the site when I post this? Should I share the trailer or that sizzle reel? What, what would you rather people see first?
1: Um, you know what I would say uh yeah the the latest preview trailer that we did I think it's like a minute sixteen yeah um okay. yeah yeah that one and, and that's also on the goFundMe link that's the video that we have on that so okay. it's kind of like a one one stop shopping thing and yeah. by the way the goFundMe is not like you know just getting money um it's you get stuff for it so there's Ooh. perks I like with getting with, stuff with, just like just like indie go you know that kind of thing so
0: yeah. Just all right so then i'm definitely gonna have to check that in and then pitch in a few dollars because I want stuff I want preacher six stuff and I want to see preacher six get made
1: right on man I, I appreciate that it's happening i mean my my goal is to shoot in the spring so uh um so from here to there i just got to raise like 50 grand to make that happen. So then that's a lot of money for someone that doesn't have 50 grand.
0: Yeah. I hear So you. I hear you. Well, hopefully we can kind of help you cross that, uh, that goal line. But um, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on today. I wish preacher six, nothing but the best. I hope it all works out. I'm going to go pitch in what I can. And I hope you have a phenomenal Halloween and an even better uh, anniversary.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So much. I appreciate that, man. Happy Halloween to you, and uh, thank you for having me on. Great show.
0: And now, before I get to my next guest, I feel like I need to sort of set the stage. And due to the kind of guest that he is and where he comes from, setting the stage requires me talking about the latest DC rumblings. Uh, there's some comments that came from Superman actor Henry Cavill that are making the rounds today. Uh, he gave an interview with The Rake magazine. and in talking about Justice League and sort of the future of DC and, and what he would like to be able to accomplish at some point as Superman, uh, he more or less threw the previous creative direction of the DCEU under the bus. I'm gonna I'm gonna read you what he said. And then we're going to talk about that a little bit. So the quotes making the rounds begin with, Even if Marvel didn't exist, we'd struggle. There was a style they were going for, an attempt to be different and look at things from a slightly different perspective, which hasn't necessarily worked. Yes, it has made money, but it has not been a critical success. It hasn't given everyone that sensation which superheroes should give the viewer. I think it is a wonderful time for the female hero. This is where he sort of shifts gears and talks about Wonder Woman a little bit. He says, it is the perfect setting in social politics right now. We need it. We want that perspective. And Wonder Woman has struck the ideal time and has become a phenomenal success, which is fantastic. Any success within the superhero universe, especially within the DC universe is wonderful because I want to keep telling the Superman story. Selfishly, that works for me. I feel like now the right mistakes have been made and they haven't been pandered to and we can start telling the stories in the way they need to be told. It is even better to come back from a mistake or stylistic error into the correct vein because it will make it seem that much stronger. Wonder Woman was the first step in the right direction. So, you know... The wheels have completely come off of the idea that the Snyder era was any good for the DC Extended Universe. Last week, it was Godot admitting that they had to retcon what Batman v. Superman said about Wonder Woman because she would quote-unquote never turn her back on humanity. And this week, there's Cavill referring to the past as a stylistic error that failed to please audiences. Ouch! Ouch! Ouch, ouch, ouch. I mean, you know, it's great to hear him acknowledge this. It's also great to hear him say that he wants to keep telling the Superman story. Um, And I just think this is a very, this should be very sobering to a great many fans that it looks like, you know, they are now allowed to acknowledge What happened behind the scenes and the way things are definitely shifting and changing and evolving over at DC Entertainment. Because last year it was all about PR, you know, a campaign to make it seem like, no, everything's fine. Everything's going according to schedule. We always plan to do this. We always plan to do that. This is all, everything is just totally a-okay. But really in the last few months, the the mask has been dropping and we've just been hearing the truth and the truth sounds like they want to make a very clear very clean break from what came before in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and they want to move in a new direction now where that leaves Justice League in this sort of weird limbo where it technically came out of the Snyder era but it's going to you know it got joss whedon involved and they rewrote a bunch of things and they're trying to hope it continues the era that was started from wonder woman uh you know that will remain to be seen but for now at least they're talking about it at least the stars of you know the people who are playing wonder woman the people who are playing superman are coming out publicly and saying that old stuff didn't work and on that note it is time for my next guest so i while thinking about who i should have on this special halloween holiday edition of el fanboy i realized that this week is batman week in terms of justice league's promotion schedule they've been doing all these different themed weeks and this is batman week so who better than the man of batman on film himself mr bill jet ramey bill what's up Hey, not much, man. Glad to be back on the show.
2: Uh, and let's talk some Batman or whatever you want to talk about. Halloween, whatever we got on the agenda. Yeah, listen, we're,
0: we're gonna we're gonna touch it all. We're gonna touch horror. We're gonna touch Batman. We're gonna touch actually merging those two ideas. Okay. So you'll see how we'll get to that. All right. But uh, but you know what? Let's start with horror because I'm sure on some level. Since you speak about Batman and Justice League so much on your phenomenal Batman on Film podcast, you, you deserve a little bit of a break from talking about The Dark Knight today. Just a few, All right. Even All for right. a few minutes. Right. <laughs> 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 that's, that's fine by me. Yeah. So let's see. So it's Halloween. I've been talking horror. I've been talking about the fact that this year has actually been one of the best years for horror in years. And I don't just mean just like because there are good movies. But even just in terms of mainstream appeal and how well they're connecting with audiences, this year we're 43 weeks in and 10 weekends have had a horror film at the number one spot. And it, it really is just, it's just sort of wild to see how well it, things are going right now and that we're seeing films that are like little micro-budgeted things like Get mm-hmm. Out that are doing hugely well. We're seeing $35 million great movies like Stephen King's It be, becoming a, a pop culture phenomenon. So kind of like across the board, whether it's an original movie like Happy Death Day or a Stephen King adaptation, people loving themselves some horror so i'm just curious I mean, if, how are you feeling about the current state of horror
2: it's not my number one uh film uh genre yeah. but i mean i enjoy a good i i'm i'm when the i grew up i love the old universal monster films frankenstein dracula i remember watching them and you know black and white on tv when i was a kid yeah wolfman and all that um the Exorcist the stands out for me as uh, as a younger kid I remember seeing that oh, I must have been a teenager it's probably a, at a re-release but i did I snuck in a theater to see it because I wasn't <laughs> seventeen yet and it it freaked me out uh, to no end um yeah. i did I did see it which which was pretty awesome yeah uh you know I remember watching the mini miniseries in the 80s. And uh, like, I know what happens in this, you know, and and, but it it was very, very well done. It was very unique twist on it and put their own spin on it. So, um, you know, my son watches these films, so he tells me that. Yeah, they've been some really good ones here of late. So I'll go by what he
0: said and uh,
2: and and agree with him.
0: Yeah, and you know it's funny Warner Brothers, who we tend to sort of you know you, you and I have a history mm-hmm. of, of discussing Warner Brothers when it comes to DC, when it comes mm-hmm. to horror, they seem to have found a real sweet sort of spot here. You know because yeah yeah the, their new line or the that's the company that that produces the Conjuring series.
2: Yes, I was about to say I love that series. That's uh, that I did have enjoyed the Conjuring films. Yeah. I, I,
0: Earlier in this episode, I hit on the fact that there have basically been four Conjuring movies thus far, if you count mm-hmm. one, two, and the two Annabelles. They've cost like a grand total of like $81 million, and they've made $1.2 billion. Mm. So say what you will about how they're doing with DC and some of the other stuff they've been trying to get off the ground and how sort of underwhelming some of it's been. But when it yeah. comes to horror, whoever's kind of calling the shots there knows what they're doing, right?
2: absolutely i mean uh, they're gonna knock them out of the park in that in that genre yeah. so maybe maybe some i know it's new line but that is uh warner brothers uh, sister studio. so let's uh let's hope some of that uh you know what like well james Wan, james Wan is is yeah. doing aquaman and he was uh he directed the first conjuring yeah he, both he of them did, right he did both yeah. And
0: he yeah exactly two- exactly
2: yeah, so uh, maybe, maybe some can... of that, uh, that success will rub off on uh, DC on film.
0: Right? I hope he brings some of that juju to that. I mean, he also yeah. He also had a huge win with Furious 7. So, yes. Juan seems to have like a magic wand. Well, I just, that was totally not on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <But Yeah>. Juan <laughs> has a magic wand. That was a terrible one. You should have just <laughs> killed him. A part of me wonders if one of the reasons that these things are going so well is the reasonable budgets. And if that can Mm -hmm. be sort of moved over to D.C. Because I was talking on last week's show about like, I have no faith in this Deathstroke movie. But if they kind of follow what Fox did with Deadpool and they keep it sort of like a low budget, Mm. you know, 60 or 70 million dollar film, make it rated R, make it. You know, aimed at hardcore fans of of that genre, you know, of of, mm-hmm. of the Deathstroke books and Nightwing and all that sort of stuff. I think it has a chance. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I that's exactly what I thought. I said, okay, this needs to be R, and it needs to be. You can, you, you don't need to CGI the hell out of it. It can be something shot, uh, you know, in front of camera. Uh, yeah. More, more than you know, having to do green screen stuff because I am just absolutely tired of the green screen. Yeah. DC uh, EU whatever the hell it is because that's that was a made up m- moniker for that for that universe but that's another different, completely different topic but um yeah i just you know i hope um i hope this comes to fruition i i don't i'm not holding my breath for for anything that's been quote unquote announced except for matt reeve's the batman of course wonder woman 2 and aquaman that's that's already in the can basically yeah. post production so um, You know, we'll, we'll see if it pans out. It also almost comes across like, um, throwing, uh, Joe, I always have a hard time. Manganiello. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, doing something with him because he was supposed to be in the Batman when, when Ben Affleck was still writing and directing. Yeah. And then that's not going to be the case anymore. So, you know, look, we'll see if it happens, but yeah, that, that, that would be the, that would be the template to follow is, is do it the Deadpool way, not copying the tone of Deadpool. No, of course not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is ironic isn't isn't deadpool kind of a parody on oh, absolutely on deathstroke yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah absolutely yeah. rob liefeld is pr- practically like he, he wears that on his sleeve it's not like yeah. a secret you know, yeah wade yeah. wilson Slade wilson yeah you know he, it was totally yeah. kind of marvel's knockoff but yeah i would say you know stay truer to what deathstroke's tone is but in terms of budget and execution try to mimic deadpool and then i think yeah. they'll actually have a hit on their hands absolutely um, yeah yeah, yeah, and you know, as you hit on, there are 18 DC movies supposedly coming mm-hmm. <laughs> or that have been announced or yeah. reported on in some fashion. And I'm totally with you. I think there's really only three or four that, as of right now, have a chance of getting made. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of it's going to fall on Justice League's shoulder. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, that's coming out in, uh, let's see, what is it, two weeks now? We're almost uh, there. Yes. It's in yeah, 17 days. Yeah, we're, we're
2: we're almost there. Whether you want it to be there or not, it, it is. It, it's, it's finally. There's almost a sense of relief for me. I, I've said that um, I have not not enjoyed covering a film, a you know, a DC film, especially. Like I have not enjoyed this. It has. It hasn't been fun. You know, it's been so yeah. much drama. It's been you know, um, the uh, insane stuff on the internet yep. by the by the supporters of you know uh, frankly um zach snyder on which he is probably he is a cool dude i, I respect zach and i think that he probably wouldn't even probably doesn't even enjoy that type of um yeah jeez worship almost <laughs> that that, yeah. that for lack of a better word it's you know it's disturbing to a certain degree but anyway all of that combined is has has made this, uh, you know, just a not enjoyable um, thing to cover, a, a, a movie to cover, and you know, it, it does not. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a Batman guy, but by default, I'm DC guy, and uh, it, it 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 hurts a little bit. It, it's sad. It's it's a bummer that that DC on film is just, you know, except for Wonder Woman, yeah. is 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 in the state of affairs that it is, and you know, I don't have like, and I it it, it makes me sad that I have I have like zero. Anticipation for this film. You know, yeah. I, I'm I'm happy for those who are, and I hope it, they enjoy it. For 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 those folks, but for me, you know, I, it is what it is. So. So yeah. Know.
0: So I, I, okay, let me ask you. Scale yeah. of one to ten. Yeah. What is your current hype for Justice League? This will be oh, telling.
2: <laughs> you know what? Um, I would say zero, but he didn't give me that option. Or probably a one. Yeah. You know, a one. And and you know what? Uh, there is a you know there's a flip side to that is that since I am a one in anticipation maybe I may end up um you know enjoying it to a certain degree because I don't have I don't have any you know I I have no dog in the hunt I don't I'm not yeah uh, you know anticipating it uh with BVS Batman the Superman I was um I, I i ramped myself up and and got excited for that film and was was severely disappointed when I saw it and so I don't think that's going to be the case cuz you know like I said don't have any anticipation for it.
0: Yeah, it's always about expectations, right? Like you're know, going through the DCEU like for Man of Steel. Yeah. I started off low cuz they hired yeah. Snyder and I was never a Snyder guy. But yeah. then as the as more trailers came out and the fact that mm-hmm. I'm naturally a Superman fan yeah, I found myself getting very intensely into it. And by the time I walked in, I was at a 10. I was like ready to like love mm-hmm. this thing. And then it ended up being more of a six for me. The movie just kind of okay. let me down. Then Batman v Superman... I walked in with very low expectations because you know, after a year of covering okay. it, at, at, after two years of covering it at LRM and everything that had kind of come in and out mm-hmm. and all the different interviews and comments Snyder had made, I kind of knew that this was not going to be my kind of movie. And I actually walked out a little more into it than I thought I would be. Okay. I, I actually really, I'm one of the few people who actually really enjoyed the third act. I didn't mind Doomsday at all. Okay, and I like that whole you know with the Trinity versus Doomsday. Yeah, I walked out. You know, definitely having enjoyed it more than I thought I did. So with this one, I'm trying to I'm trying to sort of repeat the BVS thing. I'm trying to keep my okay. expectations rock bottom, so that when it comes out and I see it, maybe I will be very very pleasantly surprised. So I guess, I guess we'll see. But I, I bet with everything that's going on, you know, you can't wait for for November eighteenth. <laughs> like, yes, like have it out yes. in the open, have everyone see it, and now we can sort of move on to the next phase of things. Right? Yes,
2: uh, you know, two things. I, on November eighteenth, we're having several Justice League watch parties.
0: Nice here
2: in the U.S. So, you know, um me and Rick Shu, who does the podcast with me, yeah. we're we're going to be in Austin, Texas. And if you've ever been in Austin, that's a great city. If you haven't been, you got to go, dude. Uh, it's my favorite city in Texas. So we're going to be there. So I'm excited for that just for the, the party aspect yeah, of it, yeah, you know? yeah, of course. but i am also, yeah, you're getting that, get that, that opening weekend past me and let's start moving on. Let's move on to some, you know, some other stuff I'm excited for. I am excited for Aquaman next year. Uh, I, you know, we've talked about James Wan. I think that was a great get, yeah. uh, and, you know, and they're also allowed, they, you know, we talked about this, um, well, it's been out there that, you know, they're going in a different direction after Justice League and yep. they're not going to be beating people over the head with continuity and the interconnectedness of of the of this universe. So, yeah, uh, you know, that's what's, what brought him, you know, being able to do what he wants brought him on. The same goes for Matt Reeves. I'm looking forward to Wonder Woman 2. And, you know, I, I am, I don't know how you feel, but I am, I would love to see that Flashpoint movie made just because just you could do like a Thomas Wayne, uh, yeah. you know, crazy Batman and do some other versions of the characters would be kind of cool. So I'm hoping that gets, gets done. So we'll see what, you know, what's in store for DC on film after, after uh, justice league.
0: Yeah. What do you think? You know, I'm actually very surprised at the amount of, of coverage I'm seeing Mm -hmm. regarding Ragnarok, Thor Ragnarok Mm -hmm. taking a, a bite out of justice league. Like, I don't think anyone could have thought that a third Thor movie would even stand a chance against Justice League. But now I'm seeing headline after headline about the fact that Thor is tracking so well that mm-hmm. it could really hurt Justice League. I mean, do you think mm. it's going to have a big impact, a small impact? What well,
2: you I,
0: I'm i not one
2: of those – I'm not a box office guru to you know tracking and all that stuff. You, yeah. you may be more versed in that than me. But, yeah, I mean, if, if, if that thing gets on a roll – and it doesn't really have anything except for Justice League standing in its way, it could, it could take a bite out of, of, uh, Justice League. And, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room with, with Justice League is, um, it, it, it's got the last Jedi a month later. So it's got to make it's hay, so to speak in in that in those first four weeks. And if, if opening weekend is affected by Thor three and, and uh you know word of mouth isn't good and the reviews are bad it could be you know it could be um not a good box office run for that yeah. for that film man
0: you see for me i'm i'm more worried about Ragnarok than Last Jedi because it, yeah. if you actually you know i it, when you do track box office as i do yeah. you notice that a lot of these movies they really make their hay in those first 3 or 4 weeks and the yeah, fact that it's true. got a yeah. month to, to to do that and you know the it's only real competition is Coco from Pixar Mm-hmm. I, I I So that's why I'm not so much worried about Last Jedi, but Ragnarok apparently, you know, it, it's looking more and more like it's going to have an impact. And to me, like, that's almost depressing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't really give a damn about Thor. You know, I'm a DC yeah. guy. And yeah. the idea that a Justice League movie would like would even have to worry about a Thor movie. It's to me just like it, it. It's it's a bummer. I've waited my whole life yes. to see Justice League come out and dominate the world and be like you know the one thing everyone in pop culture is talking about, a fan yeah. favorite, you know, culmination event, kind of mm-hmm. like when the Force Awakens came out in 2015, where mm-hmm. everyone was talking about it and it was this big, you know, cross. Yeah, you know, across the landscape, everyone's talking about. It. Then you go back to twenty twelve, same thing. Avengers was this big event that mm-hmm. people had been hyping up for four years, and when it came out, everyone went to go see it. And now here we are with Justice League, and it, it just feels like just another movie.
2: Yeah, and I, you know where I'm at. You asked me on Justice League a few moments ago. Yeah, I, I I am as a fan, the fan in me. I am more, and I look look. This is coming from a I'm a Batman slash DC guy. Yeah, I am more excited for Thor, Ragnarok than I am. Wow! Justice League. And and I am more interested in the Last Jedi. And I am not—I mean—a Star Wars guy. I, I I I've seen every film. Yeah, I go see them. You know, always give Rick Shue a bunch of shit because he's a a big—I mean, he is a Star Wars fanatic. He does Star Wars <laughs> shows for Batman on film. and I'm like, dude, I'm the only one here that saw the original Star Wars in the theater in 1977. <laughs> so. Um, yeah I, I'm excited for that so that's where my my temperature is on Justice League and I'm just not you know let me ask you this man are you do you feel buzzed for this for justice League because I, I i I can't say that I do I mean you see it with the yeah. fans online but I'm just worried about the general audience in general you know yeah
0: I'm not I'm not feeling it, 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 yeah. it like, you know because right now when I go when I jump on Twitter, it seems like the only people who are buzzing about it, are like the Snyder fans and the real yeah. hardcore yeah. niche fans. I'm not getting that sense that people around the world are getting hyped that Justice League is finally set to arrive, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 worrisome, you know, because I do want it to do well. I, yeah. I do want
0: it to do well, you know? Of course, I mean, if it does well, you know, then we might see more of those quote-unquote 18 mm-hmm. DC movies that are coming out. Yeah. Um, And now, remember, last week there was a big brouhaha about the running time. Mm -hmm. And I I wanted to share with you my theory on what I think's been cut. And I want to kind of get your insight since you're someone who is, you know, who's fairly deeply connected to all this stuff. Okay. Um, You know, because there's the rumors that originally it was clocking in at nearly two hours and 50 minutes, a 170-minute movie. And at the last second, it got chopped down to, to uh, you know, um, an hour and 59 minutes. So almost mm-hmm. 50 minutes, almost a full hour is gone. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that a lot of what was cut was anything that was connective tissue for Justice League 2. Anything that was going to help set up Dark Side, any subplot that had to do with how this is building towards future DC movies. I think all of that got chopped to hell. And it's literally, it did everything it could to just make this a standalone event with its mm-hmm. own beginning, middle, and end, with no expectations of, all right, now what comes after this? Mm-hmm. So oh, what do you you're think?
2: spot, You're spot on. Yeah. Uh, and also, you, you take into account uh, the cuts that Joss Whedon made that you refer to, you know, yeah. all of the stuff uh, that was going to set up Justice League 2 and yeah. so forth, plus the fact the stuff that he added on to the film which was significant because yeah. they did they you know they did two and a half months almost three months of reshoots yeah uh mostly that was mostly with ben affleck and with um ray fisher as yeah. cyborg they did that that most of the reshoots are with them yeah i know a lot of people were like um well, how can it be significant if you know they were not all on the set at the same time? I'm like, guys, they did a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. On, on, you know, on their own. You know, what, I don't think they were ever on on set at the same time doing stuff. It was one or one person, or maybe two at a time. Yeah. So anyway, you factor all of that in. Um, this film's a lot different than what it was going to be when they started filming back in, uh, what was that? June, April, April, I guess. April, yeah, of April 2016. Of, yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. yeah. But
0: when you factor in, you know, the the ratio of Whedon to Snyder footage, mm-hmm. it's actually kind of crazy when you think about it. Because you know, while Whedon may not have shot 8 let's you know, let's say he didn't shoot a metric ton of things, right? Mm-hmm. But when you when you compare it to the fact that they cut a bunch of Snyder stuff, now it yeah. really is like half the movie is Whedon. You know, so, you know, I can't quantify that exactly, but there is a ton of new Whedon footage in there, isn't there?
2: Yeah. Yes, there is. Yes. It's crazy. And any and anyone who would say otherwise is just either just doesn't know, or you know, are wanting you know these these Snyder fans who want to believe that it's that Whedon you know was just following. Uh, Snyder's wishes that's that's complete hogwash
0: yeah I mean and that's the thing that should have gone the way of the dodo that that theory should have just disappeared Mm -hmm. as soon as Snyder revealed like three or four weeks ago that he has not been involved in any way shape or form for the last six months yeah he said that in a piece somewhere when he was promoting his iPhone movie he said like you know I didn't think it would be right so I've totally stepped away so you know if he was involved in any way then you know. Then you could still make the claim. Oh, I guess he's still sort of overseeing things, and Whedon is checking with him. But no, he when he left, he left. Exactly. So we need to finally, exactly. you know, put that to bed. Um, but moving forward, I'm just curious. You know, where do you put it? What is the probability that mm-hmm. we see Affleck as Batman again? I know you talk about oh, this a lot, but man. currently, where, where, what do you think the likelihood is?
2: <sighs> okay because i am so many minds about this <laughs> more than more than two minds as, as two face would say um I, I my gut feeling based on everything that i that i've heard whispers i've heard things i've heard that are concrete i don't think he's coming back for another batman film i think this is it for him yeah now the i want him to come back i yeah. always you know I always had to quantify that and say look i want him to come back i'm not i'm not saying that i that. Hundred percent, I'm reporting he's not coming back. I'm saying that's what I—that's my gut feeling. Yeah. I want him to come back. I think he's—he's—he's um, he's a, he's a very good physically, you know, aesthetically. He's great as Batman. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not the best. He's not a uh, the caliber of actor such as Christian Bale, even you know, maybe even Keaton, who's who's played Batman before. But yeah. uh, you know, in that regard, he's—he's he's good. He's very good. Um, and he looks the so, part you're right yes 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 he looks like he's the most physically suited actor to play Batman to date and, and this comes from someone who's you know Christian Bell still my favorite Batman but yeah. um, uh, I hope he gets it together enough I hope that Justice League is, is a success enough for both him and Warner Brothers I think yeah. there's you know there's two parties involved with him coming back yeah. and you know what man I also say this sometimes I said you know maybe that decision's already been made you know, you had that uh, Hollywood Reporter uh, report right before Comic-Con about him, Warner Brothers, you know, trying to find a way to um, work him out, uh, somehow. work him out, work him out, you know, nicely or whatever, whatever term you want to use for it. And, you know, for that to be in a trade that there's some there's some. Yeah. And then you have Matt Reeves. Those
0: very sort of so, so yeah. confirmations. He's like, yeah, that's yeah. the plan for now. Yeah.
2: And, and, you know, there's also the part of me is like, you know, there's been so much of this drama over all of this that maybe, you know, maybe a fresh start with Matt Reeves and a new actor is the way to go. But who, and then I go back, back to, well, I really like Affleck as Batman. I like, I think he would, I like to see him get a solo film and see what he could do with it. But, you know, I, like I said, I'm very many minds of this, but I, my gut tells me he's not coming back after Justice
0: League. So, so you're saying right now, if you had to put a percentage chance we're seeing him again, you're saying zero? Uh, or... I would say
2: thirty seventy, 25, okay, seventy five, something in there. I think there's a you know, there's always a chance. Yeah. you never know. Yeah, you know? Um,
0: I have a feeling like they they yeah. might do a thing where you know if i mean listen i don't know how they're going to work work him out of things but it, there's a chance that we might see him more like in the mentor role if they do try to do a thing where there's like a batman beyond element where someone else becomes batman and he become you know, like Bruce Wayne becomes old man Wayne who's just kinda there to help a mm-hmm. younger guy out. I mean I'm not saying it's a great idea. Yeah. But like I think, you know, if if somehow he does stick around, it'll be more like in glorified cameos with someone else being Batman. Yeah, that's well, you one know, way I could see it going. I mean you never
2: know where he could he could stay on as as Batman in this unified whatever i they didn't even have a name for it we used to call it the dceu then we found out that was just made up by entertainment yeah. weekly reporter and you know the you know whatever the dc cinematic universe whatever we want to call it but yeah you know yeah. um or and then you know reeves could do something under the under this this new uh, banner of films that they've got coming out that they don't have a name for that yet either yeah, you the know that, that are, joker movie yeah it's just on, on yeah. its own but you know, at the end of the day, I think Matt Reeves is going to do a film with Bruce Wayne as Batman, and uh, it'll be his take on the character. And uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be extremely interesting to see what what he does with and, it.
0: And what would you think? See, I have a theory too. Like a way they a way they could make it all work, right? Is mm-hmm. if they actually set Reeves' Batman in the past,
2: if yes. it takes place yeah.
0: like in the early '90s, and and, and yeah. it's still this same Bruce Wayne. It gives yep. you a chance to hire another actor to be this very same continuity as Bruce Wayne. And yes. then you could have Affleck in there at like the beginning and at the end of the movie as kinda of like he's telling the story or he's somehow like it ties in to what's happening in present day. But that yeah. way you have him there as old man Wayne, but we're seeing a story about when he first became Batman.
2: Oh, I would be all for that. I i I would be a proponent. I've kind of even lobby for that do do prequels that's that's the thing with at least with him and batman v superman making him 45 ish years old yeah. And, they could you know, use uh, that in he's, their favor you know he's been batman for they said it 20 years he's you know been in gotham you've got a lot of stories you can tell that happen before the events of man of steel and yeah. uh and uh, uh bbs yeah and and, and, can- and you yeah and you also have the luxury of you don't have to worry about Continuity, really. You don't have to worry about. Yeah, it predates uh, everything. Yeah, so, it, yeah you know, exactly. Matt Reeves would have
0: the freedom to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, and you're also, you know, like covertly and nonchalantly getting audiences used to an other actor as Bruce Wayne already. So when yeah. that actor, by the third film, is just the only Bruce we see, it happens mm-hmm. sort of seamlessly. That way, yeah. uh, this, you know. So I think that could be a win-win for everyone involved. I, I
2: agree with you. I think it's it's the best of it's best of both, whatever cliche, best of both worlds. People can have their cake and eat it too, yeah. whatever you want to use. Yeah, I think yeah. would be, you know, I think that's, that's an option. And I'm sure that they're, I'm sure they're at least considering that, you know.
0: Yeah. Now in terms of Matt Reeves and Batman and, and mm-hmm. genres and all that sort of stuff, you know, we know that he wants, you know, he wants to make the, his first film sort of a detective noir mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. genre. He sort of said that. Now we also know that in the books, Batman has some fairly dark stories, Mm-hmm. And we were talking earlier about the idea about like lower budget rated R type, you know, hardcore DC movies. I'm yep. curious, like how would you feel about like, you know, a rated R, like dark, almost horrific Batman story, or like a Batman movie?
2: Um, Wouldn't be my preference, but yeah. I wouldn't be against it if, it if they went that direction. Of course, I think this... Money wise, Batman would always be PG thirteen, but if we're just playing in the and in, in this playground. Yeah. yeah, I think you know. Yeah, you could make a really probably make a really good movie in that in that uh, in that vein with Batman. To be honest, you know.
0: Yeah, I honestly, it's another one where I think it's a win win for everyone. I think like you you could do like a seventy million dollar Batman movie. Cause yeah, that's the thing. His movies don't have to be that expensive. You know, his, yeah. his villains and his powers, which he doesn't have any. You know, they, they don't require a huge CG budget. So you could just do mm-hmm. like these more like stripped down films. So you can make a seventy or seventy five million dollar Batman movie, and it being Batman, it's going to make eight or eight or nine hundred million dollars anyway. So Warner Brothers will mm-hmm. laugh all the way to the bank. Yes. so I think that would be an interesting way to go, and I could see Matt Reeves maybe trying to go that way because you know he's not someone who does a lot of the bells and whistles. He seems like mm-hmm. someone who focuses more on story and on character. Um, yes. Now, if there were a Batman story that you would like to see that would kind of fit into that sort of lower budget, stripped down mold, and maybe since today's Halloween, something is a little uh, almost like more you know horror centric. Is okay. there a story that you'd want to see adapted?
2: Oh, I've got, I got. Several, but <laughs> I, I, I'll throw out a just give me. I throw you out two or three. Okay, because um, when you we talked earlier that I said, oh, okay, I got some ideas for that. <laughs> yeah, easy. Uh The first thing that comes to my mind, and in, and I would, and I doesn't mean that I would want this because I'm I think this graphic novel is a little overrated. But Arkham Asylum by Grant Morrison, okay, comes comes to mind uh, immediately. If you know you know you know the story, Batman basically locked in Arkham, yeah. and dealing with a lot of Psychological stuff and uh, within the within the with his villains and so forth, so that that comes to mind. Um, There's a story in Batman, well, actually, uh, Detective Comics number 31, 1939. It's called Batman versus the Vampire, part one, and then part two finishes up in Detective Comics 32, and it's Batman taking on taking on a vampire. I mean, what's it what it says? And you're taking it it
0: back. I love this, yeah, and it was actually.
2: It was uh, reimagined. That story was reimagined um, about ten years ago. Uh, Matt Wagner did Batman versus the Mad Monk, which kind of updated it. Okay. And, and if you haven't read that, I would highly suggest it. You could go that route. It's in, in his take. It's you know it's set in like in the year one Batman, year one type universe. Batman is is fairly new to being Batman, and uh, you know the storyline is kind of the same, but the, instead of being straight up. He's a vampire. You don't know if, if this mad monk, the monk is a vampire or not, yeah. or is it just some crazy cult? It's very, you know, psychological. There's you know different ways to interpret it, but that would be good. But I think my my choice, and it's actually getting the animated treatment as we speak, is okay. Gotham by, Gotham by Gaslight, which right. is was the first Elseworld story. Uh, there was. Really? And yes. And it is Batman and Gotham during the during the 1880s, that period of time, the uh, you know Victorian era, and um, Jack the Ripper comes to Gotham, and it's Batman versus Jack Jack the Ripper. So oh that's what
0: I, God, that would be that, crazy!
2: Yeah, that's what I would do. I, that's one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. And like I said, it is it has gotten the animated movie treatment, and yeah. I think it's it's the next animated. Uh, DC film that's that's coming out here, I think before the end of the year. I'm not not, wow. not completely maybe early next year. I'm not completely sure. But yeah, it's next up. So yeah. those would be those are my
0: suggestions. That would be huge. That would be huge. Good choices. Crazy choices. Um and you know and, and the funny thing is Matt Reeves, you know, if you look at his filmography, mm-hmm. you know, and let's assume that he is signed on for several films. This mm-hmm. sort of stuff he's got great range. And he made that like let me in movie, which is a vampire movie made mm-hmm. Cloverfield, which is a monster movie. So it's not out of the question that he could try to move yeah. Batman into a more sort of, you know, scary territory. Um, and because Lord knows that you know, there's plenty of stories. I mean, there's even the one, just the namesake, you know, the long Halloween. Yeah. You know, he's, there's a lot of dark places you can go with him. Now, I'm just curious, well, you know, do you have like um a knee-jerk response like I do to the idea of an R-rated Batman movie? <sighs> knee-jerk? um, like, like, do you just instantly go? No, you can't. He has to be uh, kind kid of, friendly. Yeah.
2: Uh, kid friendly, I wouldn't go there. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, in this day and age, there are different mediums to introduce Batman to, and there needs to be there needs to be uh, mediums to introduce kids to Batman. I mean, yeah. there has to be a conduit to the world of Batman. But we, you know, we've got video games. You know, I, I am a huge fan of. The animated Batman: The Brave and the Bold, which I didn't think I was going to be because yeah. it's very, you know, it's it's you want to call it kid friendly, but it, it it's kind of like it's kind of like the '60s show where yeah, kids like it, it you know, on, on, for face value, but there's a lot, lot of you know um, subtext and you know little th- winks and nods, and it was it's a love letter to Batman. I love okay. that. And actually, they're they just they just announced yesterday they're bringing that back as an animated movie. And they're pairing Batman the Brave and the Bold up with Scooby Doo and the Gang, so that should be.
0: Oh yeah, I of, heard about that. I yeah, that's kind that. of
2: it's that's kind of that's kind of cool to have that, and it you know that's kind of a nod back to if you remember the early seventies, hey, Batman and Robin were on the, the new Scooby Doo Adventures and or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, called.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. So, um, so yeah, um, no, my I I would say no. I think PG thirteen, you can push it enough. Yeah. But I would not come, you know, out of my skin if if they actually said, okay, we're going to do an R-rated Batman. And you know, I guess my only question would be, okay, what what do you need the R rating for? What do you want to include with Batman that you couldn't do with PG-13? Yeah, you know, but it would be would it be sex? Would it be you know, dropping F bombs left and right? Would it be gore or you know, that that's the only thing I would. Do. Yeah, so I'm thinking
0: or, it would be gore. You know, I'm yeah. thinking you know, especially like with Joker and some of the more violent villains he deals yeah. with. You know, seeing people with like slit throats or people getting shot. You know, I I, I feel like it would be in the violence realm. Although I've always said, and you know, like this is my total like fanboy pipe dream that I kind of want to put on your lap because you're a Batman guru. I've always said I would kill, kill, kill to see David Fincher get a crack at yeah. batman and do like a seven style movie with batman <laughs> yeah. you know and you have and like and, and like the serial killer that he's going after almost is like you know it's like it's a it's a variation of the riddler where he's trying to put together puzzles and there's dead bodies and whatever yeah like i would kill for a fincher r-rated batman movie even well, though i don't want an r-rated batman movie in general.
2: yeah i i'll put it this way <laughs> i think that how do i say this um <laughs> I'm neither confirming or denying this. I just I heard through the grapevine that maybe one of the one of the things Matt Reeves has looked at when he's been doing research for his Batman movie was seven. So I'm just saying Ooh, that. A,
0: oh, God! Thank God I'm sitting down. Really? I, I heard he was looking at that one, that other Fincher one, the game with Michael Douglas. But you're saying he also looked at seven?
2: I. He's looking at a lot of things, but oh, you know, that's, God. that may, I heard, I re, re, you know, allegedly, let me throw oh, that word I gotta out. Go,
0: now I got to go change my shorts.
2: Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. I'm sure he's looking at a lot of stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's, you know, and in general, like, even if I'm not open to R rated, I, I am open to them like really truthfully exploring other genres, you know, because mm-hmm. like, I feel like, like Marvel studios. They put a lot of lip service into the idea that, like, oh, we make different kinds of movies. You know, Winter yeah. Soldier was a political thriller, which it kind of was. I'll, I'll hand them that one. But yeah. Like, they called Ant-Man a heist film, and that wasn't really a heist film. No. You know, and, they, and they, they were calling Dark World, you know, Thor Dark World. Like, This is our war movie. That's why they got the Game of Thrones director. But listen, they, that's just lip service. All their movies do, you know, they are just, they are the Marvel genre you know yes, and i'm not saying that they all feel the same like listen guardians feels nothing like captain america the wind you know mm-hmm. uh, first avenger you know so they, i'm not saying all marvel movies are the same or feel the same but they are their own type of thing
2: yes and, and that i had never heard that term but i think you're spot on they <clears throat> excuse me they're the marvel genre that yeah, that's a great way to describe their it own yes.
0: thing. You know, I feel like right now the only studio that's been bold enough to really just say, you know what, we're going to make films that are in completely their own setting and genre is actually Fox of Mm -hmm. all people. You know, I remember when I read like, I don't know, a month and a half ago that uh, Josh Boone's The New Mutants was going to be a horror movie. I was like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to in my head, I'm like, it's going to be an X-Men movie. And maybe the villain's a little more supernatural than we're used to, so they can try to make it a little spooky. Did you see that trailer? Yeah, I did. That's, that's a horror movie. That's yeah, a, it is. That's really scary.
2: You know, you know, I think almost them being like the, you know, in third place, I mean, what's the word? I mean, I mean, you know, the third wheel, whatever yeah. you want to say, you know, they're behind Marvel and DC, yeah. you know they probably they have the opportunity to take a little bit more risk with their stuff that they're doing, you know. Yeah. They you know, you know, had Logan and so forth. So and that's yeah. the thing
0: too, Logan to me was also its own genre. That didn't feel yeah. like an X Men. That felt no, like a Western. Didn't. You know, it felt yeah, like it did. like its own thing. You know, yeah. and then Deadpool, even though it was more of a conventional comic book film, it was also kind of its own thing and very subversive The way it broke the fourth wall and really kind of yeah. shattered a lot of conventions. So I feel like Fox is the only one of the main studios that's actually committing to the idea of we're going to let each of these films have its you know occupy its own space. Mm. Yeah, you know? you're right, man. And I I, you know, I, would love for DC To go that way You know I would love it You know so Batman's gonna It sounds like Matt Reeves May take it that way right They're gonna do a Detective yeah. noir Batman It sounds like Aquaman's movie Is gonna be more of like A rollicking adventure You know he, mm-hmm. he's spoken about uh, I don't know Didn't he mention like Indiana Jones and stuff He's going more for like you know, that that adventurous yeah. spirit. So yes. I feel like, you know, maybe DC can kind of start going in that direction too. You know, and let Green Lantern, when they finally get to that, really be its own sort of space epic. Yes. You know, so yes. I, I kind of would love to see DC go. There. I feel like Marvel at this point, they've sort of made their bed and they're going to stay in their Marvel. you know, that, That's their own thing that they do now. Mm-hmm. But I would love it if DC can kind of start exploring that. Because there's so yeah. many great characters, decades upon decades of great stories to tell. That I think that could kind of help the franchise battle back too, you know, in yes, the so eyes of the public. If if yeah. the films are really sort of more diversified,
2: and you got this new banner for whatever they're going to call, it, whatever they're going to call it, yeah, with yeah. you know that, I don't know what I how I feel about a Joker origin story. If or you know maybe it won't even be a Joker origin story. Maybe it's just a Joker and it's a it's a freaking eighties gangster. I mean you know whatever they're going for there, Scorsese type of of film yeah but you know hey I'm 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 open to it you know let's see what let's see what happens yeah. and uh, and you know it, it I'd love to see some of these obs- maybe some more obscure characters uh, get a shot maybe it's some under this banner um, dead man is a character I think could work well in a movie yeah um, I almost of course with dead man I almost see it as like a TV show you could do it like oh like like a, a superhero version of Quantum Leap. You remember Quantum Leap yeah, back yeah, in yeah, back in the sure. 80s. Yeah. Cuz that's what he does, he jumps into the bodies and stuff. He's a ghost, he's a spirit. So, but you know, yeah, let's see I, I'm I'm anxious for this next wave of films including, you know, including the shared universe movies and and this new banner. That's just I I'm, you know, I want good I want good films yeah, that I absolutely. enjoy and I, and and I don't want I don't want any more of this drama we've had the last two, two, three years. Oh with,
0: God, I'm with, so with DC over. It. On film. yes. Um, but while we're talking about elseworld tales that that we would like to see get made, um, my my number one is Kingdom mm-hmm. Come. I don't oh, know I how you Kingdom feel. Come. Yeah, yes. like I feel like I imagine it. a Kingdom Come, and on top of that, it's one of those things where like it wouldn't require a lot of explanation to audiences because since all the characters are much older. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, know, if you want to explain that this is its own thing, you can explain it. If you want to just say that this is just a jump forward in time, you know, people will still sort of buy it because it'll be different actors playing them. Mm-hmm. Like I would kill for a kingdom come movie.
2: Yes. I love the way Batman's portrayed in there. You know, he's all, he's old and broken down, but he's yeah. still Batman. And he's, you know, he's got those bat robots controlling yeah. Gotham. Then he puts on that crazy suit that he wears <laughs> yeah. that allows him to be Batman. I, I, I would. Yeah, that's one of my favorite graphic novels.
0: I, I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, now, before I let you go, okay. I, I, wa- I want to talk about a very serious topic. Are you ready? All right. Oh, yes. Bat nipples. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Matt Reeves finally... Someone asked him about it on Twitter, and he said there will not be nipples. So are you very relieved? How relieved are you?
2: <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> expect to see them again, but yeah. I'm glad that, you know, any... Uh, minuscule worry I would have of that. Matt Reeves is 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 uh, taking that away. So yeah. thank you, Matt Reeves. Yeah.
0: You know, you know that, what's funny? Go, go ahead. Yes.
2: No. I just said, now I've got George Clooney, Batman and Robin in my mind. You know, we always don't we don't think about it. They were in Batman Forever too, but it's always uh, Batman and Robin and Clooney that gets the gets the rap for yeah, that. You know,
0: I was I was talking about that last week, where Clooney really, you know, he got off lucky that Batman and Robin came out pre the internet boom.
2: Yeah. You know, he did that yeah. in
0: 97. Can you imagine if had that movie come out, you know, like more recently? Oh, he no. He would never live it down. So he really dodged a bullet there. Yeah. So, um, hey, looks.
2: so did Keaton. Can you imagine Keaton yeah. being cast as oh Batman God, in this yeah. day and age? Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure. Um, but like, and you know what's funny to me about the nipples thing? Um, you know, here in New York at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they have this armor exhibit. Where they Mm -hmm. have armor from all various centuries from across the world, from all these different historical battles that have been waged. And I went there years ago, and I saw some armor from like three or 400 years ago, Mm -hmm. and it had nipples on it.
2: I think that uh, somewhere Schumacher did say that 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 sort of stuff was part of the inspiration for...
0: Yeah, for having and, him on and the that's the thing yeah. that I, I kind of like. I, I kind of want to like give him a little bit of credit where that's concerned because people yeah. throw him into the fire for that, but it was based actually on historical stuff. Like an ancient Greek armor, they yes. had nipples, so he thought, yep. "All right, this is Batman's yep. armor. Let's go for it." And then you know, yeah. just you know, and then it went into infamy it, forever. It, yeah, <laughs> it went. To,
2: it became something completely different. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Jet, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us here on this uh, on this Halloween edition of the show. Well, hey, thanks for having me
2: on, and uh, I do. We're going to do that Superman podcast on Batman on film, and you you are definitely you're definitely coming on, right?
0: I oh, I will be there. I would not miss it for the world.
2: Let <laughs> me ask you one question before we leave. You um, how do you feel about you you want Cavill coming back? You you feel like he deserves a. Uh,
0: I think proper he Superman film like I do, like I do. yes yeah. I I would like to see him back with someone else calling the shots you know I, I would be down for that Matthew Vaughn you know idea for him coming and mm-hmm. doing it I'd be alright with J.A. Bayona doing it but my wild horse you know my dark horse candidate for a new Batman movie would actually be Brad Bird the guy who mm, did the Incredibles yeah. and he made you know yeah. Mission Impossible uh, Ghost the Protocol art, yeah the you Iron know, Giant I, yeah like, I feel yeah. like he could actually do it justice. He would have, you know, that there would be some warmth and, and some nostalgia and some definite heart in there. Um, yeah. So, but yes, I, I, I would like to see Cavill back and I'm kind of glad that we haven't heard a bunch of rumors about him leaving the role. Cause I, I want to, I want to see him get a chance to really do it right. You know, I'm
2: with you. And that's like one of the things I'm kind of beating the drum for is, this dude deserves a I mean you could not find a better actor I don't think right yeah, now. Yeah. He was born to play Superman and he yep. he needs a I needs a good damn Superman film. So Yes, he does. Anyway, Movie gods, hear our yeah. prayers. But anyway.
0: Yes. <laughs> All right, Jet, you have an awesome Halloween. Stay in touch and uh, everyone get the Batman on Film podcast and check out batmanonfilm.com. All right, thanks man. gonna wrap things up this week with a little chatter about this weekend's big arrival which is thor ragnarok Uh, if you have not yet heard my non-spoiler review feel free to go back and listen to episode 36 that i put up a couple of days ago on a fanboy friday edition of the show Uh, There I cover the nuts and bolts, mainly just staying on the surface of what I thought made the film good. I'm going to be going more in-depth in written and video reviews that are still to come up uh, between tomorrow and Thursday on The Splash Report and on LFanboy.com. So follow me on Twitter, I at underscore am underscore MFR. I am MFR. Um... So Thor Ragnarok, there's an interesting story sort of making the rounds. You know, while we're talking about running times lately and Justice League getting chopped from two hours and 50 minutes to two hours, roughly, uh, Thor Ragnarok went the other way. If you recall around San Diego Comic-Con, there was a lot of chatter about the fact that it may be the shortest MCU movie ever. At the time, Taika Waititi was talking about... See, I finally got to say his name on this episode. Taika Waititi. Uh, He was talking about... How the original cut at that moment was an hour and 40 minutes. And now, as you may be well aware, the movie's actually two hours and 10 minutes now. So rather than cutting movie, they added movie. And apparently, the reason why is because early tests just weren't really working. So they had to add the other half hour, and the other half hour was jokes. They had it to add all that extra humor back in, all the different experimentations they had done on set, all the different loose sort of comedy stuff that Taika Waititi inherently brings to his productions. They had initially tried to incorporate some of it, but leave a lot of it on the cutting room floor. And surprisingly, the film just didn't work that way. They sort of described it as like it was, you know, 10 minutes of a funny movie, and then it goes off a cliff into a long, sort of serious, sort of boring movie. So they said, you know what? Let's go back to all that cut footage and let's re-inject all the funny little beats that we had created while filming the damn thing. So it went from 140 to 210. And to me, it sounds like that was a total win because like I said last Friday, the film is so entertaining. It's such a great thrill ride. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. There's nothing that's worth really ruminating about, and it's not going to bring any tears to your eyes or make you think about life differently, but it's just a great two hours and 10 minutes at the cinema. I highly, highly recommend it, and it looks like it's tracking for a very big opening weekend. If we're looking even at overseas tallies, you know, It was thought to maybe make somewhere around 80 or 90 million overseas. Marvel sort of staggering the releases. They did around 52% of the international market last week, and it actually exceeded those by quite a bit. They, 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 more than they, like it, it. grew more than twenty percent from Thor: The Lost World, and it actually made around a hundred and seven or a hundred and eight million dollars, not the eighty or ninety. And and it's funny. The most optimistic projections were that it might hit a hundred, and it's at a hundred and eight. There's a very real possibility this movie is going to surprise a lot of people this weekend, which is why. I asked Jet earlier about, William, do we think it's going to make a dent on Justice League? I would not have originally thought so, but it looks like it just might. So keep an eye out for that. Um, and that's really it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Once again, check out patreon.com slash elfanboy if you'd like to support the show visit elfanboy.com for other details and other, you know, examples of what it is that I'm bringing to the table here for you. Hopefully you enjoyed this Halloween edition of the show and I will see you next week for the 38th episode. But for now, until next week, adios.